0: Open your Bibles with me to the book of John, and I'm going to start a Christmas series called Wonder. When Jesus came to earth, it was definitely a wonder. It was something to be amazed, something that uh, was absolutely stunning. Okay? Something that defied logic. The great medieval theologian Thomas Aquinas said, You can pretty much figure out everything about God through reason, because Aquinas had basically Christianized Aristotle's philosophy. And so you could, you could reach everything by reason. But he said there are three things that you can't get to by reason. One is the Trinity. You can't just sit down and figure that out one day. <laughs> Two other deal with Christmas. He said you can't sit down and figure out the virgin birth. And you can't figure out the incarnation, how God became man. Two of those deal with the wonder of Christmas. So let's begin from heaven's perspective and not look at the birth narratives of Matthew or Luke, but let's go straight to John and look at his prologue. Bible says in John chapter 1, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." This sounds so foreign to us, but if you would have been reading this in the first century it wouldn't have sounded that foreign because that term word in Greek is the term logos or logos. And ancient philosophy, especially Neoplatonism, saw that logos as a controlling force in the heavens. And they would write about it. There's a lot of philosophy based around it. And John came out. John knew this. And John's saying, "No, no, let me tell you who the logos really is. Let me tell you who that power in the heavens really is. In the beginning was the Logos, and he was God. He was in the beginning with God. And, and not only that, all things that were made, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Then we drop down to verse 14. And the word, the Logos, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten. So that force, that word, John says, I'll tell you who it was that was God. And then God became flesh. He didn't take on flesh, as the adoptionists believe. He became flesh. He became flesh and then that flesh tabernacled among us and the term for dwelt there in verse 14 really could be translated tabernacled and it comes from an ancient Greek root that uh, from where we get the term skene. Skene comes from Shekinah in the Old Testament and the Shekinah was the glory of God in the Old Testament. And the glory of God dwelt in the tabernacle and dwelt in the temple. And what John is saying is now we've seen the glory of God in the tabernacle and temple, but now the glory of God has come in a person. And that person has walked in flesh and blood, carrying with him all of the fullness of God and the glory of God in flesh. That makes me want to run around this parking lot this morning. That's amazing. That's the greatest story ever told. That's better than the outlaw Josie Wells. (laughs) Where did that come from? That's, That's better than Braveheart. Come on. That's better than Lord of the Rings. That's the greatest story ever told. That the God of the universe stepped out of his dwelling, took off his kingly garments and came down as a human being and walked with you you and I. So an an old philosopher from from, uh, continental Europe had this idea. His name was Soren Kierkegaard. He said, God coming to earth is kind of like a king who wanted a wife. But when he set out to find a wife, he didn't just want to go into villages and say, hey, I'm the king and I need a wife. Because all kinds of ladies would have come just to marry the king, right? So he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take off my kingly garments and I'm going to put on the garments of a peasant. And I'm not going to let anyone know who I am. And I'm going to walk through the villages and try to find a wife. And the story, you know, he goes on with this story that he eventually finds someone that he could marry and... And then after they fall in love, he tells her, hey, I'm really the king. God has taken off all of his majesty and come to earth as a lowly human looking for someone to fall in love with him, really. You know, I told this in the first service. Y'all know uh, who Phil Collins is, right? Yeah. I can feel it coming in the <laughs> Verse 2 we could the second stanza no was, yeah and uh, i heard this story about him that he he wanted to find a wife and so he went out and he found this lady and fell in love with her but he never told her who he was and then finally they were at dinner one night and he said okay i got to tell you i'm Phil Collins and she said who's Phil Collins <laughs> 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 i love that story anyhow no Hallelujah. God came down, divested himself of all of the royalty, and came down wasn't born in the mansions of Rome, wasn't born in the finest houses of Jerusalem. He was born in a manger, in a stable where the field animals were because there was no room at the end but that birth, it could not get any more lowly. It could not get any more humble but yet the king of all the universe came and was born in that condition. I think it was divine, it was prophetic, it was destiny to show us that he had come to the lowest point to totally overturn all of the destruction of sin and the curse that was on the earth so you and I could have salvation and could have new life. Come on, somebody. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That's what Christmas is about, right? Toys are great and lights are great and celebrations are great and family around us is great and Lord knows peanut butter fudge is really great. And all of that stuff's great, but, the, but it's not the meaning of it all. It's just the celebration of the meaning. The meaning is that Christ has come to earth. Salvation has come to mankind. We're no longer left lost. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. So why did he come? I want to I use this, verse 5. And the light shines in darkness And the darkness did not comprehend it. I wanna talk about Jesus being the light, and I wanna use this term light, L I G H T, and I wanna use it as an acronym. I wanna take each letter and give you a purpose, five purposes why he came to earth. First of all, let's use the L. He came to let us know what God is like. God came to earth to let us know what God is like. If he would have just been God in spirit, God is spirit, the Bible tells us. If he would have just been God in spirit, we wouldn't have maybe connected or understood God as much. But he became human flesh. And so if we want to know what God is like, we just look at Jesus because at one point he told his disciples, he said, have I been with you for such a long time and you still don't know who I am? He who has seen me has seen the Father. If you've seen, I do what I, I hear my Father doing. I go where he says go. I do what he says do. I am God's representative on earth I am God in flesh and you know we think about the Trinity Father Son and Holy Spirit all are God equally all are eternally God and sometimes we're not comfortable saying this but I am comfortable saying it Jesus is God period He is God. He declared himself to be God. He received worship as God. He's declared God in Scripture over and over. He even appeared to John in chapter 1 of Revelation. And he said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He who was and who is and who is to come, the Almighty. Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 9 that there's one coming, hallelujah, called the Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. This is the one coming to earth, for unto us a son is given, unto us a child is born, who's going to completely revolutionize things. God came so we could know what God was like. This is why the Gospels are so powerful. They're so powerful because when we see Jesus move, it's how God, and that is God moving. Amen. When we see Jesus talking, it is God talking. You know, people, there were some people who couldn't handle this. Some said, well, no, he couldn't be fully God. He was kind of like a, he was kind of like a demigod. <laughs> so in the early church, you had people called the Arians who said he's kind of a demigod. Because he, 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 we can't say that God was man. That's like crazy. So he was a demigod and that, that, theology still exists in some cults today. And then there were others who said, well, he couldn't just be God so he had to be, maybe God poured his glory into a man who was just a common man or existing. So at his baptism he became God. It's called adoptionism, which is also a heresy. And it's not a, the Bible says that he was manifested. He was, God became flesh. From the birth on he was God. That's why Elizabeth could walk in the room." With the pregnant Mary and the baby in her womb leap for joy, yeah. because he had just encountered the presence of God in the womb. Oh Lord, how mercy! I got chills on that this morning. Hallelujah. That's so why he could walk the shores of Galilee. And it was Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus walking the shores of Galilee. So why could feed 5,000 and cast out demons with a word and heal the sick and calm the seas and walk on water. And come on, somebody. God came manifested in the flesh. Paul said, for the mystery of godliness is great. God was manifested in flesh, preached unto the Gentiles, seen of angels, and received up into glory. Paul said, for in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. John chapter 8, verse 58. He told the Pharisees, before Abraham was, I am. I could preach this all day long. He comes to let us know what God is like. Somebody say, I. I. He comes to inform us of God's plan. God didn't leave us in the dark about his plan for the world. But when he sent Jesus to earth, Jesus came to unveil the plan of God to you and I. John said at one point, he said, the Son of God was manifest that he might This is a purpose clause. That he might destroy the works of the enemy. So Jesus was manifested to wreck Satan's kingdom. (laughs) He came to wreck his kingdom. Hallelujah. He came to give us that plan of God. He came to give us the plan of salvation. He said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me just as Jonah was in the whale's belly for three days, the son of man will be in the earth, and then he'll come out. Hallelujah. He came to reveal the salvation plan of God, that God would come, give his life for mankind, be buried, rise again from the dead, ascend to the throne of God, and be declared Lord of all the universe, giving us an open door to salvation. No wonder on the day that he was crucified, the veil that separated the glory of God from common people was torn in two. Now saying all of us have access to the very presence of God. He came to inform us of that plan. But you know, some of us, I'm going to take this one step further. He comes to tell us what the plan is for our lives. Now, we're not born and God doesn't give us an instruction manual. This is what you're going to do in your life. At age four, you're going to be here. At age 14, you'll be here. And at 32, you'll be here. We don't get that. From birth. Thank God we don't get that. It would freak us completely out if we got that. And it doesn't work that way anyhow. I think God comes down and He works with us in relationship and He wants us to make the decisions and He gives us the keys to the house. He owns the house and He built the house, but He gave us the keys to it so we could come and make decisions on a daily basis. I believe God is sovereign, but I don't believe that sovereignty goes to the extent that everything we do in life was absolutely the will of God. I don't know about you, but I've missed the will of God sometimes. I've gotten into some stupid things in life that wasn't God's will for me. But God comes and works with me, and thank God He gives us a second chance... He's the God of the second chance. All of us in here are evidence that God comes and gives us a second chance. But I can guarantee you this. If you're following the Lord, God can lead you and inform you of the plan He has for your life. It may come in type and shadow. Paul said we prophesy in part and we, have, we, we see in part. That's why prophetic words are so powerful, but they're not the full picture. We get a glimpse here and a glimpse here. And that's what we hang on to. We keep walking by faith and walking by faith. And then after a while, serving the Lord for a few years, you look back and you think, God, you really were with me. You really were opening all those doors and making all those connections. You really were teaching me along the way. Even in the hard stuff. I see your hand. Working in it. you can't, And he's downloading that. I want you to get this verse. Ephesians 1 verse 9. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which is purposed in himself, in him, verse 11, we have also obtained an inheritance. We have also obtained an inheritance. So he came to let us know God wanted a family. And so he came to build a family. And then in that family, he said, I'm gonna leave this family an inheritance. And that inheritance is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And then he says, We are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. It's like God has split heaven right down the middle and said, I give you guys the other part. And now we don't have to wait until we get to heaven to receive the inheritance. But we're walking in the blessings of the inheritance right now. What I felt this morning in worship is just a little inkling, just a little salt and pepper of what I'm going to experience in fullness one day when I get over there in the kingdom of heaven. Come on, give him a shout. Thank God you have an inheritance. That's God's plan for your life. He he came to bless you and make you better off. Somebody say G. G. He comes to guide us in every step that we take as we submit ourselves to him. Some of you are looking for guidance. Well, I'm telling you, if you serve the Lord, you're not hopeless and you're not left in the dark. But the light comes to give you guidance. How many many of y'all have some flashlights or... Candles in your home in case of hurricanes and emergencies. Yeah. About half of you are prepared. That's good. <laughs> I have a flashlight. It's one of these, It looks like one of these police flashlights that sits on my uh, kitchen counter all the time. And it doesn't work. <laughs> it works sometimes. So I've got it there in case it will happen, wor- happen to work in case of an emergency. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't. But it's not good to walk around in the dark in your house. I've got like part of my my foot's like blue right now because a few weeks ago I was walking through the house and I hit the coffee table. That's not fun. That's what happens when we walk around in the dark. We get messed up and we get injured and we get hurt. But when we have light... Light helps guide our footsteps and guide the way you can see in front of you. Can somebody shout amen? That's part of the Christmas story. Jesus came to earth to light up our lives and to guide us into the future. Somebody say hallelujah. Somebody say H with me. He comes to heal our hurts. He came to heal. He was the great physician and he's still in this business. I I can guarantee you every one of us in this room have hurts to some degree. Emotionally or something going on. We got some scars somewhere. It's part of life. Life is not perfect. We experience grief. We experience loss. We experience separation. We experience disappointment. Have you ever been disappointed in people? Come on, we all experience hurt to some degree. Some greater than others. It is just life. But Jesus has come to pour in the oil of healing to us. And because you have scars isn't a shame. Or it doesn't necessarily mean God's finished with you. Because when God comes in, He pours healing in those scars. And then He turns it around and uses them as testimonies. He uses them as testimonies to the world. So, when someone comes to you who's been hurt the same way you've been hurt, you can say, Oh, let me tell you what Jesus did. See, the wrong answer is, Man, I know it. (laughs) You think you've been hurt, I've been hurt worse. You've been around those people that one up you all the time. Man, my back's hurt. Lord, gosh, I got a tumor on my neck. (laughs) I'm sorry. But we try to one-up each other. Don't get out of that one-upping. When somebody says, man, I've been hurt, you say, dude, I was too. Let me tell you what Jesus did. He came and healed that. He poured in the salve of, of the Holy Spirit. He took that thing away one day in prayer. You know, it's like, it's like this, this grief journey I, I've been on. It's like I, I, know that, um, I know there's some natural things you have to walk through, but I really felt I was under supernatural attack back last year and I just went before the Lord and I said deliver me of this take it out it doesn't mean I'm not it doesn't mean I won't have loneliness or whatever but this spirit of Greece got to go from my life and I really felt I was I went through deliverance one night in my house in my prayer room and I really felt like God set me free So I've been able to tell people since that who's walking through grief, man, I know it's tough, dude. I'm not, there's no excuses for for the, I'm not trying to make excuses, but I can tell you that spirit of grief you can cast out of your life. That depression doesn't have, it can become a spirit. It doesn't have to remain in your life. That anxiety doesn't have to remain in your life. You can get rid of it. And then the scar that you have, hey, no problem, man. It now becomes a testimony. you got to go through a test before you get a money. you got to go through a test before you have a testimony. I mean, come on. And, but once you've been through it you can say look what the Lord has done for me hallelujah I didn't think I was going to make it and Jesus showed up right in time <laughs> like Peter who sunk down the Bible says Jesus stretched out his hand and lifted him up hallelujah I thought I was like Peter I was indestructible walking but then I started looking around and started sinking and Jesus came through right in time and picked me out of it now I've got a testimony I couldn't do it on my own but God came and did something that I couldn't do hallelujah because he has all the power he has all the authority he has all the glory come on somebody shout hallelujah Yay! hallelujah come on look at somebody and say he came to heal every one of your hurts yes whoo Come on, who knew Christmas was about that? It's about healing. Come on, it's a whole healing convention, man. All right, one more. Uno más. T. Everybody say T. This, this is the whole ball of wax. He came through his birth, through the nativity, he came to transform, to transform our lives completely. You see, some people look at Christianity this way, and I've never, I came in a different way. I wasn't raised in church, so I don't have the same perspective as some of you. I came in from the outside. I was heathen and came in. In the mountains, you add an R to that, heathen. I was heathen and came in. And so... I, I, didn't know, I didn't know you could come in and try to bring all of your mess and just add Jesus to the mess. I just came in and got radically saved. Just radically. Because Christianity doesn't work like I'm going to bring all my mess and I'm going to hold, hold on to it all and I'm going to add Jesus to it and then see if this can work. No, when you come to the Lord, you got to divest yourself of all that mess. you got to just let it, let it go. I just confess it all and I get it out, God. I pour it all at your altar. I repent of everything, and now I'm turning from it and I'm walking away. And I take Jesus as mine. Yeah. Jesus is mine. Everywhere I go, everywhere I be. Take him all, take all of him. And he comes in and clears out everything. Fills you up and totally transforms you. And then Paul said he was in Christ is a... Not a refurbished. Not a recycled. Not a vintage. He comes in and gives you a new life. And now your spirit man is born anew. And then God starts working from the inside... To the outside. Jesus on the inside. Working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. He comes and he starts working on the inside and that newness of life starts taking over and he wants to take over all of the soul realm, the mind, the will, and emotions. That's why you are saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. If you look at the New Testament, all three of those are used. We were saved at a point in time when we accepted the Lord into our hearts. And now we're working out our own soul, salvation with fear and... We're working out this salvation. We're being saved in our minds and in our emotional life and in our soul. And then there's coming a day when full redemption and full salvation comes when we get to heaven or when he resurrects us. So there's a past, present, and future to salvation that God's working in us. So let him have his way and let let God have his perfect work in you. Oh, hallelujah. Let him transform you. Let him completely give you a new start. So you know what? Some of you may, may, maybe the devil will attack you through Christmas as he did me last Christmas. You know, it can be a lonely time. It can be a depressing time. There's, this is statistically true. Don't let that happen this year. Let's just say, Lord, no, you came for all these things. You came to give me a great Christmas. Come on, this season is that we're going to celebrate the birth of our Lord. We're going to celebrate this. And this is what it's about. I'm going to celebrate everything you've come to do for me. Yes. Hallelujah. Well, I don't have the house I want. No, but you're saved. <laughs> well, I don't have the car I want. No, but you're saved. Well, I don't have the husband I want yet. <laughs> Hopefully you're not married if you're saying that. I'm just saying you're single and wanting to. No, but you got Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> Come on, somebody. I want to give you a quote that's so powerful. Peter Drucker, who was a great management consultant, wrote great management books, you know, really an icon of the business world. He was asked one time, when did you become a believer in Jesus? When did you step across the line of faith? And he answered and said, when I discovered, this is a business guy, when I discovered that grace, what grace was really all about, and when I fully understood grace, I realized I was never going to get a better deal. I realized I was never going to get a better deal. That's a businessman talking. If I can bring all of my junk, and just by grace, he gives me all of eternity and a new life, that's better than stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. That's better than 401K and 403B. That's better than Roth IRAs and traditional IRAs. That's better than all of that put together. I bring nothing to the table. I come with a negative score to the table. And He comes and gives me all of His work on the cross and eternity to boot, the family of God around me, gifts of the Holy Ghost that I can experience now. Sign me up, Lord. Let me close with this. There's three types of life in the New Testament. There's new life. This means everything you've ever done wrong is completely forgiven and forgotten. You're talking about a Christmas gift. Everything you've ever done wrong is completely forgiven and forgotten. He wipes the slate clean and you start over completely fresh. Then there's abundant life. Abundant life is in John 10.10. I came to give you life and give you that more abundantly. It means that you were made for more than just success. You were made for abundance. And God comes to pour abundance in you. It's significance. It's purpose. It's destiny. God pours all of that in you. So not only do you have new life, you have abundant life. Not only do you have new life and abundant life, the third thing is you have eternal life which is this thing's never going to end. It's never going to wear out. It's never going to get old. Hallelujah. 10,000 years from now, we're going to be singing about His glory and experiencing His power. I think just like, just as fresh as the first day we walked in, heaven's gates. Hallelujah. I don't know, take this as a vision as it is, but yeah, years ago, uh, I think it was Jesse Duplantis who had a vision of heaven. And he said he saw the throne room and the seraphim would fly across the throne of God and cry out. And he understood in the vision or he asked why this was happening and he got the the answer. And the answer was every time the seraphim flew over God, they saw an aspect of Him that they had never seen before. And I thought about that a lot. Could it be that When we're really face-to-face with Him in His presence that... I mean, what is a day in eternity? I don't know if we can use that term, but every moment we're experiencing the newness of God and a facet of His grace and His mercy and His love that we've never seen before. Oh, hallelujah. Could it be... I don't know. I had a friend that said this years ago. Could it be... You know, the Bible calls the gospel the everlasting gospel. Everlasting means it's not going to wear out. Everlasting means somebody's going to be talking about this forever. And I had a friend pose this question. He said, could it be that 10 billion years from now we're in heaven and maybe God creates new people? Maybe it could be. Maybe he creates new people in the future. And maybe they see Jesus and as Jesus is walking around, they see the nail prints that he still has in his hands and his side. And I don't know, we're just speculating. Maybe they ask, why are those there? And then you and I step up. And we said, let me tell you why they're there and why I'm here right now. I'm going to preach something that's never grown old and it will never wear out. And that is one day we all, a whole host of us, were lost. And now we've been redeemed. And that's why when we show up in heaven, we have a song that the angelic choir doesn't know and can't sing. And that is I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. He's washed us white in His blood and we can stand before Him and say thank you that you came. You didn't leave me alone. But you came and you brought light into my life and lit me up. Hallelujah. Let's all stand. I'm going to pray. I will say this. That many of you all have heard my salvation testimony, and I'm going to tell it again. But one key part of that is I was in a hospital room when I was 16, and God spoke to me. And when he spoke to me, I've, I've described it like this. It was as if I was in the dark and someone went over and flipped the light switch on. That's what happened in my mind. In my heart, it was like someone just flipped the light switch on. And I was like, oh, Lord. Yeah. I don't have to live like I've been living. I don't even have to pursue those things. It was like, boom, a revelation came to me. Then I understood about repentance, and I repented and asked the Lord into my heart. And then I would ride around my hometown. I'm 16 years old, but I would ride around, and and I didn't know everything, obviously, and still don't. But I was like, I think I know what life's about now. I got that now. That's the big question. That It's about me serving the Lord and the Lord coming to save me. And this is what this thing's about. It so took me over that by age 20, sorry, 22, I'd been preaching. And I said, I can't do anything else with my life but preach this. It's where I got to. I was planning on going to professional school and grad school, and I I just eventually got to the point, and I said, I can't do that. I have such a burden on my heart that all I can do is preach this and tell other people about it. And so Paul said God chose the foolishness of preaching. He chose the foolishness of preaching. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you so much for joining us online. And I hope the message was a real blessing to you. You know, eternity is a real thing. You're gonna spend eternity somewhere. According to the scriptures, you spend eternity in one of two places. First of all, heaven, Paul said to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. Or number two, in hell. Jesus talked about the rich man who went to hell and was in great torment. He was begging Abraham to send someone, a messenger to tell his family. Well, listen. You're hearing the message today, eternity is real and you're gonna spend it in one of two places. So why don't let's decide right now, me and you, that you're gonna spend it in heaven. How do you do that? You accept Jesus into your heart. Open up your heart and say, Lord come in, cleanse me of all sin, I accept you as my Lord and take the throne of my life as yours, okay? So let's pray right now. Just pray with me right where you are. Just repeat this, Father in heaven, I I remove myself from the throne of my heart. And Jesus, I invite you to sit on the throne of my heart. Forgive me of all sin. Wash me in your precious blood. And I accept your sacrifice for me. And I thank you, Lord, for cleansing me, for saving me, and for accepting me. In Jesus' name I pray. Can you say amen right where you're at? Hey, thank you for joining us. And please come back, get in, get in the word, get in the flow of the spirit. And uh, we're just blessed to have you with us and look forward to seeing you the next time.